Hey everyone, today we're talking about Gunpowder Milkshake, which is on Netflix and available to stream and watch now. We have writer-director Navo Papashudo as a guest. He is a filmmaker's filmmaker. He just loves movies in the way that Quentin Tarantino does, so many of you do, I do. He is a student of the medium. And Gunpowder Milkshake is in so many ways a big old homage to action movies, violence on film, the artists who do fun stuff with that, like Tarantino, Peck and Paw, uh, Leone, Kurosawa, going way back. It combines it all, and it is a, a love letter and an homage to fight sequences. And Navo has some really cool insights into how his career blew up and how he got to this point. He's got a lot of stokes in the fire these days, and it was really cool to have him on. Very exciting. The movie, loved Gunpowder Milkshake and big fan of the other movies, uh, Rabies, Big Bad Wolves. And one thing I like to start with always, especially a lot of our audience is just starting out and curious how to make the initial steps. What, for you, what sort of was the first thing that got you started, that really launched your career, that you felt was the moment that you thought, okay, this is, this is, this is going to happen. You know, I'm going to be a filmmaker. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I actually wanted to be a history teacher. That's what I was studying. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you took a you took a left turn somewhere. <laughs> yeah, a very a very hard left turn. But yeah, in retrospect, I mean, I might have seen this coming. I'm I'm, I'm a grandson of a projectionist, and and movies were always. In my blood, I just never made a connection. Oh, wait a minute, maybe I, I can do them. But I took some courses while I was studying history, and all of a sudden, hey, this is much more fun and much more interesting. And I actually connect to this on a deep emotional level. And I remember doing a lot of these short movies as a student. And I think one of my movies got into, I think it was when one of my movies got into Cannes. It's there where I felt. Huh. Okay. This is interesting. This is what the world beyond my little bubble looks like. And from there, did, it you, just kept... did you go to Cannes? Did you t- go to see it there? Yeah, I went to see it there. Um, I had no money, but we had this badge where we can get beer for free. We just showed that badge. <laughs> and I think for four or five days, I could not afford to buy any food there. <laughs> so it was you just go to the parties, get the beer for free, right? <laughs> And that was my initial thought. Okay, this is how the world of movies look like. You go around in film festivals drinking beer for free. Um, (laughs) And then what, from there, so you had a short can, which is a big deal. Were there opportunities or did you have other projects you were working on that you thought, I'm going to try to push this forward? No, I was was so early in my my early days as a student. I was just, I, I loved making movies so much. Actually, I don't have a degree. I didn't finish school. I just went on doing a lot of movies, participating in a lot of other students' uh, productions. And in the end of the day, I missed a lot of classes. So I'm still missing a couple of points to get my degree. But at one point, it didn't seem to matter. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Seems like it worked out. (laughs) I think think it did. And when you left, what was the first feature project you did? Was it Rabies? Yeah, Rabies was the first feature project. I 
you know, we wrote a script, we pitched it around, I pitched it around and a lot of people came and said, okay, let's try to find funding for this. But there was one producer who says, I'll make it. How much money do you want? And I told him, I think 200K. I had no idea, obviously. And it was like, <laughs> what, what made you think 200K? It was just like a wild guess? Or? <laughs> yeah, I thought, okay, this is how much it makes to do a student movie or a short movie. How about I multiply that by this and multiply this by that? I'll buckets of blood because it was a slasher. So basically I was guessing. So I said 200K. And he goes, I'll give you 100K. I'm like, sold. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do it for free on weekends. So right, right. 100K more than I hoped it would be. And the next question was, how many days do you need? And like, 20. I was like, I'll give you 15. Great. So I, no one, you know, no one knew what we were going into. I mean, it was the first Israeli horror movie ever made. So it was, we were all, it was kind of uncharted territories. And after that movie, they actually added the Academy Award for makeups because they realized, oh, okay, that's interesting. There's makeup and blood and special effects. So, but I think it was the combination of maybe brave and stupidity that got me my first movie. I had no idea. (laughs) So tell me like writing it, did you think, were you following like, I just want to make this, this is the kind of movie I want to do. Or were you thinking like, I'm going to try to write something that I think a producer will make, you know, like what was the thought process when you were you like, cause you said, I I thought I'd just do it on the weekends or something. Like what was your like, you're just, this is going to be fun. Audiences will like this. Like what motivated that script? I guess There was no audience that I could refer to because there were no, those movies didn't do very well in Israel. It was basically, we thought of a movie we, that we can, we can actually shoot on weekends and doing the very low budget. So we thought, okay, what's more Israeli than the sun? Okay, let's put a movie that's going, you know, happens entirely in daylight. And let's, and also it, you know, production-wise, it's smarter. And we we had Hitchcock in the back of our heads with his famous saying that the most scary things happened during the day and not even at night. So, all right, so that's a good, that's a good starting place. That's a good anchor to start building on top. And also... I couldn't remember a slasher movie or a horror movie that took entire, you know, that happened entirely during the day. All right, now we got something going. And I think very, very early on, my my idea was, how about a slasher movie where the slasher doesn't kill anyone, <laughs> and all the characters eventually killing each other? Huh. Interesting. So it had all these starting points of things I haven't seen before, things I thought would be kind of more fitted to the cultural climate of where I was born. It sounds like you really embraced challenges. I really like the Hitchcock part because I'm very aware, especially in Gunpowder Milkshake, you seem to have a lot of cinematic influences and you've talked about it like Hitchcock, Kurosawa, Leone. 
Tarantino. Yeah. You're right. There's like a lot of stuff going on. You seem like you're very steeped in film knowledge. Tell me, can you tell me more about like what your favorite of those? I guess this is a big question. So let me try and narrow it a little bit. Of all those influences, you know, what are the things that you kind of take and, and drive you um, creatively? <sighs> For, it starts with with love, love the cinema, love the movies. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm the grandson of a projectionist. So I spent most of my childhood in cinemas talking about movies. My parents would have to listen to the whole, it's not even a pitch, the whole movie, a minute by minute description of what I saw. <laughs> so you'd come home and just force them to listen to you recount the movies you saw? Yeah, and... In a way, that's how I, I never thought about it, but that's how I started my pitching career. So it has to start with that and those old movies that I saw as a kid. I have a very vivid memory of watching The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly on a 16-millimeter projector on a, projecting on a white sheet where I grew up as a kid and those kind of memories shape you and, and growing up loving movies so much. It took me a second to understand this is something I really want to do, but that's one you can see so much in your, in especially gunpowder milkshake. There's so much Leon Leone in that so much of that style. It's not just the violence, but just like the, the characters, there's like these very large broad strokes once you jump forward to developing Gunpowder Milkshake, can you tell me where that all came from? Yeah, absolutely. I think it all starts with my love to the genre, which I, you know, it started with Hitchcocks and the film noirs and the contract killers. And then you have the Kurosawa, the whole samurai slash Ronin. And then Sergio Leone, you have the gunslingers. And it's all about these outlaws who works on the edge of society and, and, you know, they're the villains, they're the outcasts, they are the people we hate, we love to hate. But I was always attracted to them because in those gray areas of morality and those characters that run their lives by, by in a no, no man kind of, no law in a no man land, they develop, they develop this code, the code of the... Either it's the samurai, the ronin, the, the contract killer. They have these rules, these codes, these, these joints. They, they spend time. Either it's you know a cafeteria or a restaurant where they feel safe or it's a safe house or it's a, it's a mechanic who takes care of their car or, or um, a guy who supplies them with weapons. It's this whole world and this whole different co codes until some, something happens and it's usually the introduction of, of an innocent character into their life. And now they're facing a choice. I mean, either they stick to the code, stick to the rules, to the, to the world that actually accepted them as outlaws, as villains, or they break it and embark on this journey to save this innocent soul. So you were attracted to the idea of that world, but you wanted to intentionally shake it up, break the rule, and put them in a position where they had to sort of fracture their their code. Absolutely, I think you have to with, with every genre that you have, you approach. You have to acknowledge everyone who came before you, and 
I, I you know, I'm, I'm sitting on the shoulders of giants. I mean, the, the, the people, the, the filmmakers who were involved in this genre, I mean, from the one we mentioned to Jean-Pierre Melville to Michael Mann to, you know, there's so many great influences on this genre that you have to kind of be a student of those movies if you want to do your own thing. And it also seems like there's a, there's something, there's a joy, there's a fun that you're having in this movie that all that, I, that like, that you're taking all of that and you're rewrapping it or representing it, but you also seem to have your own playfulness. I don't know how to describe it. A little humor. Is that just something that like comes from you or is that also like, can you tell me a little bit about that? I, it reminds me of Edgar Wright as well, sort of like another one who's sort of like, there's a little bit of genre, but then there's like this new kind of spin. Well, I, you know, I, it's a great compliment. I love Edgar's movies and yeah, I mean, why not have some joy and life and, and color in, in, in movies and I think once you infuse this sometimes heavy on violence genres with a little wink, it just creates another layer to it. And as I'm, as I said, I'm a, I'm a big student of many of these filmmakers. And if you think about it, Hitchcock was a comedian. I mean, I, I you see these movies now. Maybe you saw them as a kid, and there were more thrillers and they were more suspenseful. But you see them now, and he, he had such a big sense of humor and, and obviously Sergio Leone I mean they were all they, they had a blast they, they had so much fun and all the way to through maybe Jean-Pierre Melville was a bit more serious but all the way to, to what the Coen brothers do and obviously Quentin humor and, and action goes hand to hand from the days of Buster Keaton and I see a direct line between Buster Keaton and Jackie Chan and action in general. So even, even it's funny you say that I, I, I agree. And I think the humor goes a long way because things that take themselves too seriously, they can lose you sometimes even like Looney Tunes, like certainly in Quentin Tarantino stuff too. There's like a certain little, like sometimes there's something like the, the way Chuck Jones does violence or uses blood or there's definitely more. Yeah. There's definitely something to that. And by the way, I, I appreciate you mentioning that because we actually try to make, to do stops with every sick, with every action sequence. For example, the bowling alley fight was definitely inspired by Hong Kongian movies and Jackie Chan and Buster Keaton and the use of the suitcase. But once we moved into the clinic, we actually saw a lot of Chuck Jones and, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and who framed Roger Rabbit and, and, you know, those kind of movies, because that's that kind of a scene. So we had a lot of stops and, and cartoons was definitely being an eighties kid and growing up during those days of blockbusters. But so it's definitely a great influence. Yeah, no, I same for me, and I definitely recognized it immediately. Um, I want to know also just about like the the choice that one of the things that sets this movie apart too is that this this is a female led cast. The the character heroes, this group of assassins. These are women. There's a mother daughter. There are mother daughter relationships. What inspired that? And can you just tell me about the decision to do that and executing it and all of that? Yeah, of course. Um. For me, it's always that, I mean, when you, when you write something, it's always kind of this eureka moment when two ideas from different genres and usually from different eras meet each other. 
It's a contract killer meets, it's a gunslinger meets a Kurosawa kidnap thriller. So this is kind of what happened here. We have an assassin who stumbles into someone else's story. And it's a guy she thought was stealing, you know, but actually it's a kidnap situation. And she's facing this dilemma. And I, I think once we realized that this is the story and that's the de- decision she's facing, that's where it hit us that it has to be a, a feminine movie. It has to be a woman's movie. Because the, the little girl and everything that would happen between our assassin, between our protagonist to the little girl would benefit so much from that bond, almost this motherly bond that is forced upon our heroine. And then we took a step back, like, okay, this is actually the movie. It's, a, it's about mother and daughter relationship, and it's about abandonment. And then the whole backstory with the diner came to play. And it just felt so right, instinctively. Everything kind of fell into place, and it felt, okay, this is a very feminine movie, and we just commit to it. And it was a pleasure. I mean, I have to admit... Once the ladies came on board, the script kept evolving. Really? So once you had your cast, how, how, how early in the process and how did you get this cast? You know, you, this movie is a big jump even from your last one. So in terms of securing the budget and the producers, but what, did the cast come early on that was like, that's going to help propel you with Karen and Paul Giamatti and et cetera? I mean, the, the cast came, the script was... Um, Alex Andrew and Alex uh, Heinemann and Andrew Rona from the picture company, they loved the script. They sh- showed it to Studio Canal, who were like, yes, we want to do this. They, they got the rights. We started on, you know, we started this journey together and pretty fast we, we, we felt, okay, we are ready to start approaching cast. Karen, I was a huge fan of hers. I thought she was terrific in everything I saw of her. And then I met her. And she was even more terrific in real life. She's such a smart, generous, down-to-earth person. And and her insights and all, you know, little observation, I knew she has to be in in it. And and same goes for Lena. So they came on board first. You know, their, their relationship, their characters is the center of this movie. And once they were on, did it, like you said, did their talent, their style, their personality sort of influence some of the direction in the rewrites, like you said? Always. The dialogue, once it starts, it never stops. I mean, a script is a blueprint, but you have to be flexible. And, and of course, when you're writing characters that are like this and, and women, I, I would be a very dumb, insecure director if I wouldn't listen to them and they would come with ideas and suggestions this is what I think Sam should say. This is what I think Scarlett should say. This is how they would behave. And, and they were terrific. And I, I owe them a great debt because the dialogue with them actually made the movie so much better. And obviously when Angela, Michelle, and Carla joined in, it just kept on growing. The dialogue and the conversation. How does this team operate? How do you separate them? How did it work as individuals, but as a team? And the action changed. I mean, once you have Michelle Yao, you're like, okay, I don't want to just put two guns in her hands. That's, that's, 
not satisfying enough. That's pretty cool. So you started thinking like, I, I have, I, did you collaborate with her at all? Like, what do you want to do? Or were you just like, I know what her capabilities are because they, these, these women are all extremely accomplished, like blockbuster presences, you know, which is also really cool. It's not, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you would never have seen that. So it's, it's amazing, but they all have had their, you know, they've cut their teeth on these major movies or shows doing action, doing this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I listened and I imagined, I, I remember coming to Michelle and kind of pitching her like, she liked the script. She loved the idea of working with this other group of women, but she wanted to, to know what, what are my plans and how, if I would change things. And I came with, I came pretty much, I came very prepared. I was working with Laurent Demanouf, who's an amazing stunt coordinator. And we just decided, all right, this is not enough for Michelle. Michelle needs, you know, she needs more. She can do more. So the whole chain thing wasn't initially in the script. I remember coming to her like, listen, we are actually rewriting the action scenes. And this is what you're going to do. And you're going to jump from here and you're going to have a Mary Poppins kind of a chain thing that I, I don't want to spoil too much. <laughs> and this is how I see the character development. And this is how I want to, because you have to listen to the, to the characters, but once they are, you have the cast in mind, it has to evolve. Same goes for, for Angela. And it's like, all right, now that Angela is, we have this dialogue with her, wouldn't it be great to give her two hammers? <laughs> it's like yes. <laughs> so you got to change what what weapons you put in their hands, basically. 